Welcome to Talking Frankly, Kororopono, Humanity Matters monthly podcast with Diane Davis and Chris Harris. This month we're talking about Humanity Matters, Aotearoa's newest human rights organisation, and the market research the group is doing on online hate speech with a focus on anti-Semitism and misinformation. We have an interview with Tracy Martin, former Cabinet Minister and Advisory Board Member of Humanity Matters. And finally, we'll look at the issue of genocide as it relates to the Ukraine. Interested in sharing with our listeners uh, the the if you like the rationale, the background to um, setting up Humanity Matters, why you and and me saw a, a, an opportunity in the marketplace in Aotearoa for a human rights um, organisation. Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question there, Diane. I mean, what it is that, I mean, that we identified that there was a major gap within the New Zealand um, education system around the idea of human rights in education, um, especially in schools around the idea of humanity and having an understanding in regards to our curriculum and its place and how we're actually changing everything. And it's all about how we are looking more towards what happens in New Zealand rather than the impact of what's happening around the world. So it was important for us to be able to establish an organisation that informed young people but also gave teachers the resources and the ability to be able to teach this topic with such confidence. Yeah, and I think we also saw an opportunity too with NGOs and particularly the corporate sector um, to, to, if you like, address the need um, for a better understanding of um, the human rights area and and key issues around um, racial, gender, uh, gender identity, uh, and so on, and those those areas. Um, And also, you've got a particular expertise, and and we'll We'll discuss this in our final segment because it's very relevant. You've got a particular expertise in, in genocide study. Yeah, I mean, I've been involved in human rights for quite some time. Um, I can even go back to my early high school days of being able to be interested in disability issues, but also what was happening around the world. And as time went on, um, I got myself involved in educating young people who had disabilities, but then going on to becoming a teacher as well and educating my students around genocide, human rights, and their place in the world. And I think that that's so so important right now. Um, and then later on, I would go on to actually become the CEO and Education Director of the Holocaust Centre of New Zealand um, and being a member of the International Association for Genocide Scholars, um, as well as, you know, being involved in um, education through Yad Vashem in Israel, through the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, plus my own um, individual studies, which was around Stanford, Otago and Auckland Universities. I think human rights, sometimes I feel, Chris, that it's like we take two steps forward and two steps back or two steps sideways. If you look at issues around, you know, gender equality with abortion in the United States, um, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, attack on LGBTQ plus rights, particularly trans communities. So it's almost like we make progress and then we're at the precipice of it being wound back. Yeah, uh, it- Case in point, I mean, you you touched on it nicely in regards to it as the um, abortion rights that are happening through the United States when we're seeing large states now actually repealing um, the rights of a woman 
to actually have an abortion. And recently, we only saw last week with Oklahoma now saying that it will make it completely illegal for any woman, no matter what their circumstances are, to actually have an abortion. It's almost well. It's not almost. It's sort of it's 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 kind of barbarism in a way, medieval barbarism. I mean, in terms of the the extreme nature of some of that abortion legislation, uh, and and it's kind of interesting too. I mean, if you look at the world, really, the number of um, Western-style democracies, parliamentary democracies, there's, there aren't that many, and and New Zealand's amongst them, and relative to, to um, uh, a number of our, um, uh, if you like, comparable nations, so the United Kingdom, uh, Australia, US, New Zealand actually um, probably, and it's all relative, of course, but is probably doing better uh, on human rights um, for on, on gender and gender identity than, than many of our um, countries that we typically compare ourselves to. Particularly, you know, um, women of colour too, because they typically are at the at the lowest rung in terms of, of pay equity. Um, but I wanted to um, also discuss um, a major piece of market research that you're leading on um, disinformation and anti-Semitism in Aotearoa. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about that, um, what that's going to look at and when when the results are likely to um, be in the marketplace? So if we go back, I mean, a little bit just to be able to give some context in regards to what's here, it was identified that there was a need to be able to survey um, members of the Jewish community around online anti-Semitism. Um, we know that online hate actually exists, but we decided for this project that we would specialise just first of all on online anti-Semitism and misinformation within New Zealand. Um, we hope that it means that a project like this will actually carry on and be something that other communities will also adopt. But first of all, what we would like to do is be able to undertake a survey and um, focus groups, which which will be with the Jewish community. Um, and what it will do is be able to identify what is actually happening within New Zealand, not from what's happening from overseas, but be able to have a real understanding about what are people's experiences, where's it coming from, what is the nature of it, where's the roots in it. Um, and, and to be able to understand that, I mean, that... There's all this misinformation out there. We see the parodies in regards to looking at Parliament where um, anti-Semitic material was being broadcasted by people saying that, you know, Jacinda Ardern was a representative of, you know, her figure was the same as Hitler or there was Nazi slogans being used all over the place. Um, so, yeah, it's very important that it mean that something like this will be able to give an understanding to people about what's happening um, and how to deal with it. And um, we hope that, I mean, that we'll have the results through by the middle to the end of July. There one other point as well to raise that it's also when we actually survey and when you do these focus groups, and we've seen it in the past, it's extremely important to be able to give um, practical ways to dealing with it and solutions um, and resources that um, people can actually tangibly have. Um, if we get ourselves just stuck with the numbers, it doesn't really give 
anybody anything in the future to go by. So I think that that's important going forward as well. You're going to do some um, interviews with um, some influencers and experts in the sort of, you know, misinformation space. And that's really critical because one of the challenges, I think, we face um, not just in New Zealand, but globally is um, the misinformation, disinformation ecosphere. So this is going to be a really important piece of research on understanding what's actually happening, what are the tools and techniques, and then drill down into an example of, um, if you like, misinformation, disinformation, anti-Semitism. Um, I think it's, I think with, with looking at anti-Semitism, it's awfully important to not overly conflate um, views regarding the state of Israel and anti-Semitic views. The danger from a data collection and a, and a strategy development is that sometimes the other non-Israel drivers of anti-Semitism, if you like, can be obscured or diminished. And it's really important that um, a research tool provides actionable um, items and in that context, understanding what all the drivers um, of anti-Semitism are, you know, in terms of narratives, themes and memes. And I know the research that you're leading is, is going to do that. And I think that's critical. Well, I think, I think you know, best practice is, particularly with something like this, is to do uh, qualitative and quantitative. So you know the what uh, and, and the why, and then you can size that up in terms of, um, you know, the relative, uh, you know, um, dimensions and parameters of that. So um, I think that's going to be a really important piece of research um, and results due out in, in mid-July. Okay. Now it's time to welcome our special guest to Talking Frankly, the Honourable Tracy Martin. Tracy is a former Cabinet Minister who held several key ministerial portfolios, Internal Affairs, Children, Seniors and Associate Minister for Education during her time. Since leaving politics, Tracy is involved in several boards, including being a member of Humanity Matters Advisory Board. Kia ora, Tracy, and thank you for joining us for a discussion on human rights today. Kia ora, Chris. Lovely to be here. So, first thing, um, Tracy, why did you get yourself involved in Humanity Matters New Zealand? Uh, well, first of all, I was asked, which was really nice, because um, after the life I had led, you weren't quite sure whether, you know, people would want to speak to you anymore. So, it was lovely to have um, have Di come up and, and talk with me and ask me and inform me of the project. The reason why then I was really interested in it is I had spent quite a bit of time, for example, with internal affairs, um, looking at hate speech, looking at um, child exploitation and um, particularly in the area of child pornography, um, and and also in the working around with members of the trans community um, around what were the challenges for them. So there were some really, you know, and I'm, those, those were points that I was really passionate about and I saw the opportunity to continue to try and spread an understanding. So I, that's why I said yes. Um, so from your perspective, why do you think people should learn about human rights? Because I think there's actually, it's a, it's a phrase that's bandied about. We talk about human rights a lot, but I'm not, I don't actually believe it's well understood. So, um, and you often hear, you know, people say about rights and responsibilities, and that's true. Nobody has more rights or less rights than anybody else. Um, 
but what are they and how do they interplay? And I think like the right, you know, freedom of speech is a one that's a really interesting one at the moment. Um, and I think I'm actually quite worried that we're going backward with the understanding of human rights and how our rights interact with another, another human beings and how we can't exert more or affect theirs negatively just because we have some. So I guess that's why I think that we need, we need, to, have, we need to continue to educate generation upon generation about what are human rights and get them to think about it in the context of their own actions towards others. So do you, you just said, you know, you think that people take um, human rights for granted. Why do you think that people take it so much for granted? Well, I think they, um, they one in New Zealand, I think I have to talk about the New Zealand experience, right? And I think one of the reasons why we were so shocked by the, um, the terrorist attack in Christchurch, the mosque um, shootings, was because the majority of us have this assumption that, um, you know, those of us particularly with privilege, I suppose, assume that that's what life is like for everybody else. Um, and we stand on our right to articulate ourselves and we stand on our right to do this, that and the other thing. And what that, what that incident showed us quite clearly, and it's not the first time, but it, it was a massive shock for the country, was that there are New Zealanders among us who are not experiencing or not being, um, their rights are not being protected. Their rights to feel safe where they live to go about their business without um, abuse or um, being denigrated in any way is not necessarily being upheld. So, um, so I think there is a there is a percentage of us, a large percentage of us, because a large percentage of us have privilege. But here in New Zealand, I think we are a bit blind to what is actually happening. Um, there's an undercurrent of real unpleasantness in this country. So you talk about the unpleasantness. And so over the next decade in New Zealand, what do you see as the major sort of human rights issues that this nation needs to address? Well, we need to get, well, I think we haven't done, we've still got to keep reinforcing the core basics, right? And that that comes from understanding each other, which strangely enough is part of the work I'm doing in broadcasting, trying to, with, you know, trying to, work with others to create a public media entity that will be able to spread greater understanding of what is the New Zealand of today. Um, the, the New Zealanders from multiple different backgrounds that at the moment can't see or hear themselves on public media and so therefore can't you know, show their lives and their culture and be better understood by, by all other groups in New Zealand. But I think that um, over the next decade, where privacy, I actually asked this question of my 21-year-old, and I was really interested in her response, and it was privacy. So it was like data sovereignty, and you hear that concept in the context of Māoridom at the moment, is around who owns Māori data. But individual data, when you think that it's being collected through algorithms and so on and so forth, and being used, um, some would say that they are using it to make your life easier, but a lot of it is being done without your permission. So I think um, privacy, hate speech, um, because particularly in that digital environment, people will do many things and say many things that they won't do if somebody, if they think they can be seen. The stupid thing is that having worked for internal, you know, with internal affairs, 
they can be seen. <laughs> the crazy thing is they just don't think they can. Um, and it, and you know, and you've got to pursue a different pathway to go and find them. So I think privacy, individual privacy and collective privacy is still going to be a big thing, particularly in the digital environment. Hate speech, the balance between freedom of speech and yet hurting other people. Um, and just reinforcing the core basics of what is everybody's right to live in peace, well respected by others, and able to be who they are. Well, thank you, Tracy. I mean, this has been the most informative conversation, and thank you for giving up your time, and we look forward to speaking with you in the future. Jordan, thank you, Chris. Okay, we're going to look at a really um, uh, relevant and very challenging topic, genocide. Uh, we're watching what's happening in Ukraine, in, in, in Butcher, um, incredible brutality and isolating and, and identifying um, Ukrainian nationals. So, Chris, this is an area of expertise. When we talk about the term genocide, because I know it's thrown around a lot, what really should we be looking for in terms of getting a clear handle on what geno genocide is and what geno genocide isn't? Yes. So when we look at genocide, I mean, that we have to go back to Gregory Stanton, who was once the president of Genocide Watch, and he developed this idea of the 10 stages of genocide to be able to understand what leads to a genocide. Um, you know, we, as you said, you know, we've seen people throw the term around, but it's actually been able to get an understanding that there are stages that we go through before we actually hit genocide. And we've seen it in history, we've seen it in the Armenian genocide, we've seen it in the Holocaust, we've seen it in the destruction of the Roma and Sinti community to Cambodia, to Rwanda. Um, and now we're seeing it in the Ukraine. So it's important that we sort of look at the first idea is that the classification. So, you know, the differences between people and K okay, are not respected. So we see here where we see that the Russians are actually okay, identifying the Ukrainians um, within certain parts of their society that they're having to justify their invasion by because they're targeting Nazis that live within the country. Um, or the uh, demonizing in regards to the leadership of the Ukraine. Then there's this idea of symbolization that exists. Um, with, Na with the Nazi regime, we saw it with the yellow stars. Now we're actually seeing it in the Ukraine where we're seeing the Z being able to be painted on everything. You know, so closely, you know, if you think of the Nazis and they used it so powerfully and you're seeing it now, like you say, in Russia with the Z. And then we get the idea of discrimination. So now we're actually starting to see the us and the them mentality. And that's the idea that's existing there. Then we see the dehumanization. So we saw it with, uh, you know, the one group is better than the other. And this is how we identify that these people are vermin or there's something wrong with them. And then you get the organization. And what we're starting to see is that within the Ukraine is these, you know, if you're going to coin the phrase, the death squads that are going out and carrying out these these barbaric acts. And then you get the polarisation. So you're getting propaganda that's going through parts of the Ukraine that are pro-Russian, that are saying, look what's actually happening in your country. It's all their fault. They should embrace us. Um, and then there's the preparation. So... You know, there's, there's an orchestrated here, you know, genocide just doesn't happen. 
um, it has to go through stages and it has to be organised. And then ultimately we get the persecution of the people and then ultimately it's the extermination. And we're seeing that in Butcher where we see those large pits of people that have actually been killed or people that have just been killed on the street. And now we're also starting to see um, not the actual killing of people, but we're actually seeing sex has actually been a way or rape has been a way to actually dehumanise these people that actually exist, that live in the Ukraine. And so we see these stages that exist and it's um it's horrific for us to stand by and see this and to know that i mean that we are repeating history again i mean uh, just to be clear just to be clear so you you you're you're very uh, confident and comfortable in saying what we are seeing in real time today in 2022 is genocide oh totally without without a doubt um that i mean that we're seeing it you know, we are seeing a violation in regards to the United Nations International Human Rights Declaration, where Article 5 says that no person should be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhumane or degrading treatment or punishment. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. So, so we're watching this, you know, we live in a world of social media and that, that common phrase of never again, never again, and yet this is what we're witnessing. Um, what what are we take as an international community are we taking all the steps we can is there more that we should be doing if, if i was to say personally i would say that the idea of the word never again doesn't exist anymore we keep on saying it to ourselves that i mean that to somehow justify that oh look never again never again and the bodies keep on mounting up um it has, and we've stood by and watched too many genocides actually happen and done nothing about it. When we look at Rwanda 20 years after the fact, where we get the United Nations you know, General Secretary who says we should have done something. And we have an opportunity to do something. And I'm, as much as foreign powers don't want to involve themselves by putting boots on the ground, this may be the only chance that you're actually going to get to save a, to save a nation. And I think that, you know, nobody should be suffering the indignity of actually seeing family members being shot in front of them to rape as a torture. These things are existing and we seem to go, okay, that's fine. We've had our one minute or two minute sort of clip on the news and we move on. That That's not how the world operates. The world is actually in, in the depth of right now, um, potentially another horrific, large numbered genocide that is existing. You know, there have been sort of submissions to the International um, Court of Law and Hate Crimes Tribunal and, you know, war crimes. Um, and there's obviously sanctions and some of the strongest, um, you know, we've seen uh and then and, and provision of some military obviously to to ukraine um you sort of said boots on the ground i mean we're talking does it does it have to get to a stage where in your view in your view we have actually got um we we are providing effective air cover to the ukrainians because obviously clearly they've they're very good fighters we we have to be you know we have to get to that point and stop mucking around and give them the air cover to 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 to, to, to you know to stop the wholesale bombing of the country. Yeah, uh, and, and there's two points there that I mean that the first point what I would say is that 
we've made it a we've made it a business of actually not bringing war criminals to justice. There's there's been enough of them that have actually existed in this world that we have allowed to continue, or eventually they've been overthrown or they've died themselves, but we haven't actually made them accountable. Um, now, didn't we do that with um, oh um, the, the the Serbians the you know oh Slavodar Milosevic yeah. Yeah, I mean, Milosevic was brought to justice in regards to it. But, you know, when we see other ones within even like Rwanda where the world didn't actually act on those who are responsible for what was happening there, um, I think that we do have to provide effective air cover now. Um, it's It's got to that stage where they... As much as the Ukrainian people are outstanding fighters, they're actually, you know, defending their nation for for everything that's got. Is there going to be a time where there's going to be a break and they are not going to be able to defend themselves? And is that going to be? Yeah, yeah. I just actually read just this morning the US is sending um, attack helicopters with a capacity to sort of eliminate heavy artillery. Um, so we're sort of, you know, edging edging closer. If we turn to New Zealand, um, small country, not never never been a military nation, um, but I think our support now is up to thirty million. Do you feel that, given our capabilities, are we are we as a nation doing enough? I think that I mean that the best thing that we did was this morning when the Hercules actually flew out and it committed military personnel to the region to be able to assist where possible. Um, we we've always had a strong history of batting above who we are. And this is an opportunity for us now to be able to be that independent voice who actually says, no, we're actually going to come, we're actually going to be involved and we're going to support the Ukraine by actually providing military assistance. With It's not within the Ukraine, but it's at least actually providing some of our technical nows to be able to assist them in this repelling this barbaric regime that's making its way through the Ukraine. Oh, look, you know, we're such a small nation, our voice, you know, we're tight. But the fact of the matter is, you know, uh, democracy, parliamentary democracies are a, a smaller number. And so being one of a small group, um, uh, we we do have some, you know, um, moral authority, if you like, and, our, and being part of Five Eyes, um, we might be a small nation, but our voice still has some resonance because of the values and principles we're seeking to uphold in the international community. And you know, I mean, it doesn't always have to be a governmental thing either. I mean, that there's enough organisations throughout this country who have strong connections to the Ukraine up and said, no, enough is enough. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, we'll end that uh, for today. Thanks, Chris. You've been listening to Talking Frankly, Kororopono, from Humanity Matters, Aotearoa. If you'd like to find out more, go to our website at www.humanitymatters.org.nz.